0: Hey, Water Smarts Podcast listeners, we got a special one for you here today. The general manager for the Southern Nevada Water Authority, John Ensminger, recently sat down with the CEO of the Suffolk County Water Authority. That's in Long Island, New York, Jeff Sabo. And Jeff hosts a podcast very much like we do here. It's called What About Water? So general manager for the Water Authority, John Ensminger, appeared on the podcast with Jeff. They have a little bit of conversation about drought, conservation really kind of juxtaposing water resource management here in the West with what they do back East. And really what you find, there's a lot of similarities. We are seeing conservation spreading throughout the country. So even East Coast water providers are focused on conservation. They have watering restrictions on Long Island, just like we have here in Las Vegas, though a little bit different. Still, that same ethic of conservation really permeating throughout the country. This is a good example of that. And one more thing, we are on track, Southern Nevada, to have our lowest water use year since 1993. We are talking about three decades ago, water use today being less than what it was 30 years ago. Meanwhile, our population has ballooned since that time. So it just shows the value of conservation and managing water resources. Keep conserving Southern Nevada. Enjoy this special episode of the Water Smarts podcast and listen to what About Water? You can find the What About Water podcast on all your favorite podcast formats. Without further ado, hope you enjoy this conversation. <laughs>
1: Summer is over, and for the second year in a row, Long Island experienced a significant drought. In fact, since just 2016, Long Island has experienced five summer droughts. And with climate change, we could see even more in the future. That means residents fighting against nature to keep their gardens blooming and their grass green with huge amounts of lawn watering. I'm Jeff Sabo, CEO of the Suffolk County Water Authority, and this is What About Water? Today we're talking about droughts, long periods of dry weather that leave our lawns scorched and keep our sprinklers running. While droughts are an uncommon on Long Island, our plentiful reserves of water leave us in a very different position than other parts of the country. So we're going to take a look westward to Las Vegas, Nevada, where drought and water availability are always at the top of mind. We'll find out just how different Long Island is when it comes to drought struggles, and if there are any lessons to be learned from the West. Joining me today is John Ensminger, General Manager of the Southern Nevada Water Authority. Good afternoon, John.
2: Good afternoon, Jeff. Good to see you.
1: Yep. Good to see you. Thank you very much. Uh, you've been a leader in the drinking water industry for, for many years now, um, certainly in your role in, in Nevada and nationally, too. So hearing your thoughts about uh, what you do and how well you do it and the challenges you face I, hopefully is going to be an interesting conversation for our, for our listeners.
2: Yeah, well, I definitely think we can, you know, juxtapose some differences between the East and West and uh, maybe, maybe, you know, let some people know what's going on.
1: Well, I'll, I'll tell you this much. I have 65 trillion gallons of water below, <laughs> below our feet here on Long Island uh, that's sitting there in an aquifer that I may want to sell you.
2: <laughs> well, I'd, I'd be interested in uh, talking about that, but uh, it's the transportation costs.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's talk a little bit about it, John. You're you've been with. Um you know, at West and certainly in Las Vegas, uh, in executive and leadership positions for for many years now. You've served as uh, general manager for, I think, almost 10 years. Um, Tell us about your organization and what you do and how it may differ from what we do here uh, on Long Island.
2: Yeah, so um, I'm general manager for two different water utilities. The the Southern Nevada Water Authority is the wholesale water provider, so uh, we provide wholesale service to the cities, the counties, the water districts, uh, totaling about 76 percent of the state of Nevada's population. Um, so big big pipes, you know, big pumps. Um, you know, also handle all of the negotiations with the other six states that share the Colorado River, the federal government, and the country of Mexico. Uh, And then on the other side is the Las Vegas Valley Water District, which is the largest member agency of the Water Authority and has about 70 percent of the retail. And that's probably a little bit more akin to, you know, what you do on on Long Island and providing retail service.
1: Right. That's uh, we we do a little bit of wholesale, but overwhelming majority of the roughly 1.2 million people we serve are, uh, you know, residential customers, a small percentage wholesale. Uh, You serve, I think it's about is it about 2.5 million customers but then there's another was it 30 40 50 million visitors annually
2: Yeah, that's right. So about 2.5 million uh, in population, and I think this year we are gonna pass the 50 million mark for for visitors to the Las Vegas Strip. So, yeah, we we have fun stuff, like uh, F1 uh, is having a race here in uh, November, and they wanna do little things like pave over all of our valves that runs the water system for the Las Vegas Strip. So it's always something exciting, and then the Super Bowl in February. So, uh, you know, good good stuff happening in Southern Nevada, but we're not without our challenges.
1: Yeah, and you know, That's something I want to talk about. It continues to be certainly a period of tremendous growth. Um, Here, New York, Long Island, uh, we get all of our drinking water from the sole source aquifer. Right. Beneath our feet, uh, trillions of gallons of water. We pump it from the ground and distribute it to our customers. We have about 6,000 miles of of water main and Um, about 250 different locations where we pull water from, that's a little different, you know, pull from the ground and then get it into the distribution system. That's a little different than what you do and the challenges you face. Where do you get your water from out in, in Nevada?
2: Yeah, so we get 90% of our water from the Colorado River. Uh, so the the river originates, you know, western Colorado, southern Wyoming, you know, comes down to us through the Grand Canyon. And then with Hoover Dam right at our front door, uh, we have a very large reservoir, you know, right in our backyard. And that's where we pull 90% of our water supply from. The the other 10% is actually, you know, similar to what you do. It's all groundwater operations on the retail side. We have uh, about 80 uh, production wells, but but we also do some put and take. We can take water out of the the river and inject it into the aquifer and we've historically put uh, you know about three hundred and thirty thousand acre feet of water uh, into the into the aquifer here.
1: so can can you describe to to those uh, in who are listening to this who don't know what an acre acre was it acre foot acre yard what does that mean
2: <laughs> yeah uh, and that's probably one of the distinctions between east and west you know, you guys talking you know trillions of gallons or probably you know million gallons a day we we talk in acre feet and it's uh yeah it goes back to the settlement of the West, you know, mining law: uh, an acre foot is enough water to uh, flood one acre of land with one foot of water. Uh, it translates into about three hundred and twenty-six thousand gallons.
1: That, you know, I, I did not know that. You know, uh, that's great. I appreciate that explanation. I'm sure our, our listeners will too. Uh, you're facing some challenges. Um, you certainly, and you're not new to challenges related to water availability. Uh, you know, we, we've been talking quite a here this past summer about drought and drought on long island certainly is different than drought uh in the community that that you serve in nevada uh it's relatively new to us but not necessarily new to you can you talk about some of the some of the things that you've done over the years to try to address drought sure well
2: for starters um Drought here for us. Uh, A, it's been going on, you know, basically since the turn of the century. You know, the last, you know, 23 years are the driest in the recorded history of the Colorado River, uh, and it's basically gotten to the point where we don't really talk about drought anymore. We talk about aridification and the and the fact that the future is just going to be warmer and drier uh, in the western U.S. Uh, but we have seen, you know, 2002 was the driest year in recorded history. 2012, 2013 were the driest back-to-back years in recorded history. Right. until 2020 and 2021 surpassed them Uh, so that's resulted in we came into the 21st century uh, with four years of the total flow of the colorado river in storage in lake mead and lake powell and we're now sitting at about 34 percent combined storage between those two reservoirs so uh, really you know had a huge impact on the water supply and when you you know get 90 percent of your water from that that source it's obviously a, a, a big concern
1: yeah, I think the, the the distinction is here on Long Island, we're trying to impress upon our customers um, to be good stewards and the value of water and to appreciate though, although we have trillions of gallons beneath our feet, uh, that doesn't mean that we should waste water, waste, you know, treated water, right, that we spend millions of dollars to treat to water their lawn. Uh, you know, in, in over here on Long Island, everyone wants a green lawn. It's not uncommon throughout throughout the world, but uh, I think it may, be, it may be in the water. Everybody wants green. They want a plush backyard. They want uh, lots of growth. And um, what we're trying to do now so we don't have issues long term is that education and that outreach It's a little different than the world that you live in where this is real life. This is happening. And it's not new, but it's every day you're living with the real possibility of shortages.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we you know are having this conversation today, we're under a declared shortage condition from the federal government. So our legal entitlement to how much water we can take out of the river uh, has been reduced the last couple of years. So this is, you know, this isn't you know game theory or you know some exercise <laughs> we're going through. We're we're living it. Um, but fortunately, our community has really stepped up to the plate and frankly led the world in urban water conservation. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about some of those specific steps, Um, but we've shown that you can have a a robust economy, a a growing population, economic diversification, and simultaneously use a lot less water.
1: So I I read a little bit bit about that. It looked like, if I recall correctly, Department of Interior uh, declared, was it a stage two alert in August 2022?
2: Yeah, that's accurate. They they always make the shortage declaration for the following year in August. So they've already said what our operating condition will be, you know, in 2024 in in last august and we're moving back to a tier one which is better than tier two uh but but still you know going to be operating in a shortage condition for you know the foreseeable future
1: what does that mean in real life what, what, what does that mean you know how, how do things change from an operation perspective when you're dealing with existing customers and then a uh, potential new customers
2: Yeah, well, fortunately, um, we've seen this coming, right? We we do a 50-year resource plan every single year, so we always have a five-decade, you know, look at what the community's water resource portfolio looks like, uh, and because we've consistently driven down our total consumptive use, uh, those shortages is essentially a legal definition, right? So we're reduced from a 300,000 acre-foot basic apportionment to a 275,000 acre foot apportionment Uh, but this year it looks like we're going to use less than 200,000 so we actually have extra water that we can store in our aquifer bank in in lake mead uh, because our community has made such strong achievements in urban water conservation
1: that's incredible yeah i saw that you you actually were under uh, I guess you're prescribed or allotted uh, total. Um, and I guess that, that says a lot about you and folks like you and the agencies you run with making sure that um, you're, you're doing the right thing and you're getting your customers to, to actually listen um, and you're taking steps with incentives to try to stay below that, that requirement.
2: Yeah, well, it, it hasn't been easy. Our community, basically every sector of our community, has been asked to sacrifice. You know, you talked about lawns on Long Island. I mean, we, we have a lot of people that moved here from the northeast and the midwest and the southeast, and they wanted to bring that culture with them to the Mojave Desert. Uh, and, and it's just water we don't have to support those kind of lifestyles going forward. So we've actually been now passed a state law banning uh, the irrigation of what we refer to as non-functional turf. But it's essentially, uh, you know, grass outside of say yards, schools, parks. You know, anything that's purely decorative, uh, you're no longer allowed to, to use our water to, to irrigate that. We've limited pool sizes. We've have a moratorium on evaporative cooling. Uh, you know, we've done a number of other things. And when you add it all up, you know, our population has more than tripled here since 1992. And this year, we're on track to use less water in our community than we did in 19. 19- so uh, none of this is easy, um, but it, it can be done with resources and political will.
1: I mean that's uh, that's very very impressive. I know here we've ramped up uh, rebates and uh, credits to customer accounts to purchase smart controllers and rain sensors and low flow shower heads and things like that uh, which is you know probably you did that probably 25 years ago if not longer uh, you know we've instituted without enforcement power we've instituted an odd even watering schedule for the customers that we serve um I don't. I don't like not having enforcement power because I don't like doing things that you can't actually, you know, effectuate a change with. But we do think that it sets the right tone and it's, you know, it begins that education with the customers knowing this is our policy. We're voluntarily asking you to comply and to use your automated irrigation systems on you know certain days based on your house number and things like that. When so we have struggled with enforcement. We don't have uh, the ability to. To you know, drive the neighborhoods or uh, impose fines uh, to residential, commercial customers um, to find out who may be watering when they shouldn't be. Um, we've reached out to local municipalities to see if they uh, want to help, whether it's the police department or village, uh, you know, public safety officers and things like that. But it's it's a real struggle. How do you enforce your restrictions? Do you have the power to do that, or do you involve the state, the state legislature, or uh, or law enforcement agencies? Well,
2: historically, um, we do, uh, it sounds like we have more enforcement authority, uh, at the retail level in the, in the Las Vegas Valley Water Districts through our service rules, right? So the board, you know, seven elected officials have to vote to change the service rules in order to, uh, say, you know, mandate, you know, day of week watering restrictions you know and that was done as you said you know 20-25 years ago um, but we because there are seven member agencies of the water authority it's always been important to us to have uniform application of the rules across jurisdictional lines so uh, any time in the past SNWA uh, has you know Passed a you know a requirement, you know all the member agencies put that into county code, you know city ordinances, you know water district service rules, and it's only been in the last two legislative sessions. Our legislature meets uh, for 120 days every two years. It's it's a great system if you can talk your state into it. Um, they've they've only in 2021 and 2023 have we used the state legislative process to get some additional authorities through. Um, and that really was that non-functional turf and and some emergency powers, given the the situation on the Colorado River.
1: Well, one of the things uh one of the things that we've tried most recently here on Long Island is a two tiered rate structure, where if you exceed a threshold in gallons per quarter, we bill quarterly, uh, you would jump into a much higher uh, rate category. Um, And during the summer months when people are filling pools and they're uh, watering their lawn and things like that, about 30% of our customers the last couple of years have jumped into that rate. Uh, But we do think it's been an effective way to catch people's attention. It also is effective because it costs us millions and millions of dollars to bring the infrastructure to the communities for those high users. So the thought being, there, you know, we need to build, you know, put in a 12-inch main and put in a booster system, and uh, you know, do things like that to make sure that you have water. You're going to pay for it, and it's it's starting to work. Uh, but it may not be as effective as we had hoped because we're looking at a possible third tier, a super user tier for uh, both public and private uh, a- entities that have uh, geothermal systems uh, that use and, and, and in some respects waste a lot of water. So we're trying to be trying to continue to you know move the ball down the field and be innovative.
2: Uh, uh big distinction in our rate base because you talked about your tiers you know our our first tier um, we call it our lifeline rate uh, and so for your 1st five5,000 gallons of water we charge you a dollar seventy four per thousand gallons and that's specifically calculated to be enough to wash your dishes you know do you do your laundry take showers uh, enough for you know basic you know household needs um, and then and then by the fourth tier uh, we're charging uh five dollars and seventy-five cents a thousand gallons, and it costs us about three fifty to move a thousand gallons of water from the lake to to a tap, and then. The fifth tier is called the excess use charge, and that's a nine dollar per thousand gallon penalty if you go over the seasonal budget. So if you're a, a high volume user, um, you know, at any time of the year, and you're going over that that seasonal budget, you're paying almost you're paying yeah almost fifteen dollars per thousand gallons. So we have customers that pay. Twenty five hundred, three thousand dollars a month um, in you know for for the
1: really affluent areas of town. That's absolutely incredible, and I, I appreciate the uh, you know you elaborating on that a little bit. <laughs> Uh, you know, what are you looking at uh, some innovative ideas for water reuse? I, I know you, you've been a, a leader with the uh, Water Research Foundation for, for several years, and they've done a lot of great work in this respect. But uh, what does the future look like uh, in, in, in Nevada for a, a plentiful supply of drinking water?
2: Yeah, well, like I said, we do a, a 50-year resource plan every year, and we don't show a scenario where we don't have water in, in the next 50 years. So we're secure from, from that perspective. Um, we have almost 100% indoor recycling in southern Nevada, and that's uh, because of our uh, geographic proximity to Lake Mead. Uh, if it hits a drain in southern Nevada, we treat it, uh, we put it through green infrastructure called the Las Vegas Wash, you know, and we've re- established some riparian habitat, you know, some world class wetlands that the water flows down back into Lake Mead, and for every gallon we put back in Lake Mead, we can take another gallon out. So our indoor use is essentially a closed loop. We only deplete water from the river system with outdoor. Uh, irrigation and evaporative cooling which is why we now have a moratorium on any new evaporative coolers going in down here but that doesn't mean we're not interested in reuse we're actually partnering with the metropolitan water district of southern california uh, because they have a a project called pure water because most of the uh, sewage effluent in coastal california which is about 19 million people between you know santa barbara and san diego that, that water all gets discharged into the pacific and is lost as a resource you know going forward So they're going to spend about $4 billion to... Uh, treat that water to an even higher standard than it's currently treated, distribute it through four different uh, groundwater basins in Southern California and recharge the aquifer with the water and then be able to pump that out, essentially through engineering and infrastructure replicating the, the situation we have by being upstream of Hoover Dam. And my board's already appropriated uh, $750 million for us to participate as a capital uh, partner in that uh, pure water project and in return for our participation, California will leave a, a small piece of their Colorado River entitlement in Lake Mead for our use. And, and as you said, we've also done a lot of direct potable reuse uh, research at our facilities uh, at, at Lake Mead. So just because you know we don't need purple pipes doesn't mean we're not interested <laughs> in helping other people
1: uh, build some. Uh, we've been very fortunate here uh, in applying for and being awarded grants, right, from the federal government, from uh, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, from uh, member item to direct uh, funding. Uh, we, from New York State, has been aggressive with setting up a, a pool of uh, money annually. So we've been deploying a lot of treatment to remove 140 dioxane and PFAS and PFOA, and we've received millions and millions of dollars. Uh, it's been helpful because every dollar we get from the federal government, right, reduces the cost to our, our customers here uh talk to me a little bit about your you know the support from the uh, the federal or state government in building out your infrastructure and doing treatment in Nevada.
2: Yeah, b- basically non-existent. We we've paid for everything with with local dollars um and, and in fact uh very often you know we've been asked to apply for state revolving you know, funds and, and things of that nature. And you know, having to comply with, you know, Davis-Bacon and, and all the, you know, strings that come with federal money just very often isn't, you know, isn't worth it for us. So we, we've had a, you know, political class here that's been willing to set our water rates at a place where, where we can pay for billions of dollars worth of infrastructure. And, uh, you know, our, our community, you know, more or less takes care of ourselves. And even after the tiered rates, you know, our rates... Without a vote, go up every year. You know, tracking either CPI for retail stuff or the Engineering News Report Index for our for our capital projects.
1: Impressive. You sound like somebody from the West. We've done it all ourselves. We don't need any assistance from the government. (laughs) John, you've got a lot of, uh, certainly, challenges. Uh, You're certainly, um, you know, I think exceeding uh, standards. I know it's been fun a couple of times when I've been on the phone with you. I remember distinctly one time you said, I'm sorry, Jeff, I got to go. I got the Secretary of Interior calling about our negoti or someone from the Department of Interior. And I said, all right, this guy's pretty important. This guy's changing lives out West and, um, you know, dealing with, uh, with, you of the, the officials at the extreme highest levels of, of government um, and I, I do I think that uh, you know you're you're vital to uh, negotiating with the federal government you play a large part in, in ensuring that the communities have drinking water you know talk to me a, a little bit about that about um, the enormity of the responsibility of negotiating on behalf of of the, the folks that you represent with, with the federal government that must be a tremendous undertaking
2: yeah, it, uh, it probably takes up, you know, about a third, you know, of, of my job, because in addition to being the general manager of two utilities, my, my third job is I'm the governor of Nevada's compact representative uh, on the Colorado River so each you know the Colorado River is divided between seven states you have the upper basin of Colorado Utah Wyoming and New Mexico and then you have the lower basin of Nevada uh, Arizona and California and in addition to that we have a treaty obligation to the country of Mexico uh, to deliver uh, 1. 1. 1.5 million acre-feet of river water to, to them and the federal government runs all of the big reservoirs wars on the river. So you have seven states, each of which has a a gubernatorial appointee uh, to negotiate, and and I'm Nevada's. Uh, Then you have the the federal government through the Bureau of Reclamation and Department of Interior, you know, sort of at the table as owners of the infrastructure. Uh, Obviously, you know, 30, I think, Native American tribes, uh, big, important national uh, areas like, like the Grand Canyon, a lot of, you know, wildlife and recreational interests. And and then, you know, an international treaty right right in the middle of it. And it's, you know, a river that is relatively small, Uh, you know, compared to the the Mississippi or the Columbia. uh, The Colorado is a really small river. uh, And we we call it the hardest working river in the world because it takes care of, you know, 40 million people, uh, 5 million acres of irrigated agriculture, uh, the the fifth largest economy in the world. If the seven states that share the river were an independent country, we'd have an economy Economy bigger than Great Britain, so it's of national importance. Um, You know, if if your residents on Long Island uh, eat salad during the winter, uh, it's 95% chance it's coming from Yuma, Arizona, and being grown with Colorado River water. So it's a it's a river system that's of national and international importance, Um, and you know the people that work on it have to figure out ways to compromise, right? There, There is no way, you know, one state can just win over another one and, you know, not have enough water for huge chunks of the U.S. population.
1: I understand that there's been an update in a most recent agreement. Can you fill us in on uh, the specifics?
2: Yeah, so right at the end of May, uh, the, the states and water users within the states of Nevada, Arizona, and California agreed to uh, a four-year Uh, Conservation program, which uh, will be the the largest water conservation program ever effectuated. You know, once we fully implement it, Uh, the goal is to uh, save three million acre feet of water. Which, just for context, that's over ten times the total consumption of Las Vegas for you know one year. Uh, Leave that water in Lake Mead and start rebuilding uh, the storage that we've lost uh, on the Colorado rivers. So, uh, uh, an important program. Uh, I think it continues to show that there, you know, is the political will to do hard things uh, on the interstate level on the Colorado. So uh, we look forward to, you know, getting back to the negotiating table and you know see what's next.
1: So I've I've, I've used I've said this for a long time at you know cocktail parties and barbecues that you know. Wars are going to be fought over water, over right having water, uh, you know, water quality and water quantity, and you know we've seen that over the last couple of decades, uh, certainly you know historically, but uh, I think that has certainly intensified where there are battles and lawsuits related to, uh, you know, beyond what you're going through certainly in the West, but not only in the domestic United States, but uh, but across the the, the planet. Uh, do you have any advice for for the the people here in New York and uh, Long Island who get there, uh, drinking water from, a, from an aquifer. Um, any tips, uh, advice that, that we can pass along, and uh, good, you know, m- maybe best practices and things like that?
2: You know, it sounds simple, but, you know, you got to plan ahead. You, you have to, you know, be realistic about how much water you have, uh, how big of a population, you know, at what, you know, per capita water usage, you know, will will that support and take the steps necessary. Sounds like with your tiered rates, we, we have a five tier uh, rate system uh, here. So we're, you know, a little more aggressive in that sense <laughs> than you guys are. Um but, you know, water, you know, is isn't a given, you know, it's a finite resource. And it's not, you know, it's not federal fiscal policy where you can just print more, right? It's something where, you know, you're going to have to, you know, actually live within your means. Um, and you know, frankly, Americans aren't always great at, at facing up to the, the hard realities of living within their means sometimes. And, and water's an unforgiving mistress in that regard.
1: John Ensminger, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, We very much appreciate your thoughts on on drought and uh, drinking water conservation. Uh, It's been a pleasure.
2: It's been great, Jeff. Really enjoyed it. We'll see you really soon.
1: What About Water is produced by Jeff Sabo, Theodore Aponte, and Dan Dubois. If you enjoyed What About Water, be sure to rate us and to leave a review. Help spread the word by telling a friend and by following the Suffolk County Water Authority on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm Jeff Sabo.